This is the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. Big new ideas about credit unions. Big new ideas about credit unions. CU 2.0 podcast. Close this Series A round, and that's a sign the venture capital community believes this is a company with a definite future. Congratulations to Equipify, which just closed a $12 million financing round. Link to that in the show notes. In this podcast, Equipify CEO Bryce Deeney, December 2021 guest on the podcast in a full-length show, link to that full-length podcast in the show notes, tells why Equipify impressed VCs, what he sees as the company's future, and why credit unions need to be looking hard now at deploying BNPL, buy now, pay later. Yep, buy now, pay later has recently hit some bumps in the road. I explore exactly that in a recent CU Insight blog. Link to that blog in the show notes. But Dini is confident that BNPL will win a place in the lending portfolio of most credit unions. A key will be smart, savvy deployment. He talks about exactly how to do that, what it means. Don't miss this podcast. You need to get BNPL on your institution's roadmap. Starting about now, listen up. So you got your Series A financing. What does that mean? Yes, sir. So typically when you raise a series A, I mean, just generally, it means that the venture capital community believes that you've gone past the point of having a good founding team and a good idea. And you've gotten to the point where now they believe that you're the team that's going to solve this at scale for the industry that you're serving. And practically what it means for Equipify is we raised a a $12 million financing round, which will enable us to not only scale our team to better support our clients, but also scale our product offerings so we can serve uh, more customers at a, at a faster pace than we did in the first year. Venture money as a rule, and you, I'm sure you know this, is that they want to see a big return. If I give you a dollar, I don't want you just to be able to last for another minute. I want you to increase your sale tenfold. I'm exaggerating. You're not going to do it with a dollar. <laughs> but the point is to get a big bang for the venture dollar. Sure. So what big bang do these investors see you delivering? What are they hoping for? Yeah, well, I think the addressable market that we're serving, you know, just in the credit union space alone, there's thousands of credit unions that have yet to enter into the buy now, pay later space. And, uh, you know, during our first year of business, we saw, uh, we were pleasantly surprised at the response from the industry that we're serving, which is predominantly credit unions, uh, how eager they were to learn how to get involved in BNPL and how to engage their existing membership base and grow their membership base. Uh, so obviously, when it comes to the venture capital world, they look at first and foremost, is this the right team? Is this the right type of product? And second of all, how large is the expansion opportunity? And uh, how many customers do they see actually adopting this type of technology? Because the re- return on investment, um, you know, it sounds very transactional, but really it's, is there a, a, a giant hole in the marketplace that needs filling? And is this the right company to fill it? So I think, you know, a- anytime a venture firm makes a bet on a young company, you know, they're, they're taking all of those things into consideration. And I think Equipify raising our Series A nine months into our company's existence, which is a very short time for a Series A, 
I think shows that uh, how eager credit unions are at becoming more aggressive in their product roadmap strategies to stay competitive within the marketplace with third-party fintech and major uh, banks. How many credit unions do you think presently offer BNPL? Less than 1%. Right. That's, that's what I would think too. And you're now serving seven institutions, right? Uh, that is our publicly stated number. Yes. <laughs> if you were telling me your, your privately stated number, yeah, uh, what would it be? <laughs> no, that's unfair. Forget that. <laughs> no, I guess what, what I will say is in our announcement, we announced our first seven customers. So yeah, if you look at, you know, I think the last number I saw, there was 5,097 credit unions or so. And that number changes depending on the month, right? With M&A and, uh, and new credit, credit union launches. But, you know, we were servicing from the number of credit units to how many there are, we're servicing less than 1% of their credit union community. But if you look at the asset size, we tend to uh, serve some, some of the larger institutions out there. Well, it's not just that you have less than 1%. I think it's probably less than 1% for all providers in the credit union world. I, I just don't see this product being discussed as a reality by credit unions. It's something they might talk about but I don't see proof of implementations. Well, I think BNPL for credit unions has not existed for longer than 18, 18 months. So there hasn't been enough time for that maturity within the product, uh, within the credit union space to be adopted, implemented, and case studies to be written. So it's still very early in its infancy. Right. If, to the extent we're aware of BNPL, and many of us are because a huge percentage have used it, most of those offerings are dealing directly with a fintech, not with a financial institution. Most involve no fees to the consumer. It's the retailer who's, who's paying a fee to the fintech. You're offering a different kind of product altogether, right? Well, the, the fee structure is up to the financial institution with our platform. Uh, we, we're essentially enabling financial institutions to offer the ability to split up payments over time to their cardholder bases, you know, predominantly on the debit card side. So, you know, you mentioned uh, fintechs, uh, you know, most consumers today, if they are, have used BNPL, they're using it with a third-party fintech, you know, like Klarna, Affirm, or Afterpay, which is true. But there is also this other subset of consumers that are using it from Capital One, from Chase, American Express, City, Wells Fargo, right? So there, there are a number of different BNPL alternatives out there that are all trying to seek that top of wallet status for that consumer. Oh, you're right. I, I've forgotten. I frequently see Planet, I think, is the American Express offering. I haven't used it, but, but they put this in front of me from time to time. It, and it's also an important delineation to the 0% fee predominantly only applies to things like paying for. So having a consumer pay off something over a two-month period before equal payments, um, that's where they don't charge interest. Where if you look at PayPal and Affirm and you know the majority of the large BNPL providers, when they offer you something, hey, do you want to flex this over, let's say, three months or six months or 12 months or sometimes even longer, uh, their APR ranges can be as high as 29.99%. Where I've looked at it is um, I, bought, I 
around Valentine's Day, I bought some Jacques Terrestre chocolates from my wife and from uh, Gold Belly. And up popped mm. this pay in four. It's like $40 worth of chocolates, man. <laughs> there wouldn't be one of them left in, in two months. I assure you. you know, if it was pay in two days, maybe. <laughs> it was, I just thought it was weird. I, I didn't use it. Yeah, but. I don't think that that would be a, a normal application. And I'm sure if there was a study done on 100,000 consumer BNPL plans that have been accepted, I would assume that that would be a, a significant insignificant tiny fraction of, of plans now how do you, how are you sorting what purchases you'll 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 fund and what purchase you you won't touch yeah so we're looking at all transactions coming through the card payment rails and I, the first main filter goes by merchant category code right so if you're look, thinking as a financial institution's point of view, are we willing to underwrite a loan, let's say on a, like a major retailer, right? Amazon, Walmart, Costco type of purchase versus maybe something that is like an international MCC or a, you know, um, like a crypto MCC. Some financial institutions will have very strong feelings and, and risk appetites based on the merchant category code. So that's typically the first filter we we apply a lens to. Uh, we also have like a merchant category code blacklist. So we work with each customer on, hey, these are the ones that Equivify believes you shouldn't send offers on. And then we confirm with them uh, as we're setting up the program to make sure that they're not sending out offers on things that they shouldn't. Now, things like cash advances, ATM withdrawals, debt payments, you know, alimony payments, tax payments, et cetera. So uh, and then there's also ranges on dollar amounts. So you mentioned $40 chocolates. Most financial institutions are not interested in a $40 purchase and splitting that up. They're more interested in those larger tickets, uh, you know, a few hundred dollars to a few thousand dollar types of purchases. Because really, if you think about financial institution BNPL offering, all we're talking about is removing the friction of things like a personal loan, right? So when a consumer walks into, let's say, like an, uh, to get an oil change for their car, and they thought it was going to be a $69.99 purchase, turns out their car needed a lot of work and it turned, you know, turned into a $700 surprise payment. How does that consumer cover that cost if they only had $900 in their account and they don't get paid for another 10 days from their job? Right. So rather than having that member be required to like call you or visit a branch and fill out some paperwork or go on your website and try to find a personal loan and see if they're approved, what we're doing is removing all that friction and giving that consumer a real time automated way of accepting a plan term, automating that loan and repayment period through mobile banking. It's just removing the friction in that ability to flex your cash flow within your checking account from your primary financial institution. A couple months ago, I, I thought I needed a new hose and some um, coolant in my car. It turned out I needed a new uh, water pump, which on a BMW <laughs> costs $1,200. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, I, I used to take 120, 120 max, you know, no big deal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, fortunately, I could handle that. But there were times in my life when uh, I don't know quite what I would have done. So BNPL can be be a good product. Now, how, how do you see BNPL? Is it going to cannibalize uh, credit credit card debt? There is a small portion of credit card spend that inevitably will be pushed to BNPL. 
Now, I, I think credit unions need to expand their product offering to meet their members where the members want to spend their money. And credit cards are already being cannibalized by BNPL third-party companies, right? So if I'm thinking about how to build out my product road, roadmap strategy, I want to have as many products and services that my users, my members would want to use and are already using. And we can look at our data to see what types of products and services they're using and then respond in, in part with products and services that they can use from us, their trusted FI, versus being forced to use third party. I think another important piece when it comes to the credit card cannibalization question is there's a very clear delineation of meaning like a um, consumer profile that is a predominant credit card user and a predominant BNPL user. And the, the biggest delineation between the two is age. So if you're mid thirties or older and you have decent credit, odds are you use your credit card or multiple credit cards for your everyday spending. You also use those as your emergency reserve in, in case you have that $700 Jiffy Lube payment or you know whatever that turns out to be for your, for your BMW. Where that 26 year old who is a debit card power user, those 26 year olds are much less likely today to apply for your credit card when they run into that friction point within their checking account, they're much more likely to go grab that quick and easy frictionless BNPL experience to flex their payment over time. So sometimes we we bundle all of those user stories and user experiences into a credit card conversation. And that's just not simply the case. Uh, holistically at the federal level or national level, there's uh, a few trillion dollars spent on credit cards, and there's a few trillion dollars spent on debit cards. And specifically for credit unions and financial institutions that are under 10 billion in assets, they earn way more income on their debit card portfolio than on a credit card portfolio. So how do we ensure they don't lose customers on the debit card side that are being promoted offers from PayPal and Affirm and others that are launching their own debit card products. So how do we keep those consumers within our four walls uh, as their trusted FI? And the second piece is how do we give them the same flexibility and services that these third parties are offering them? That way we stay competitive within the marketplace. And BNPL also activates quicker than a credit card. So if I need a quick $2,000 and I want to apply for a credit card, I can get approved online pretty much instantly, but I won't have the plastic. I'm, maybe I have a number I could use for an online purchase, but they're not going to take that down at Jiffy Loop. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, there are ways on the credit card side to you know, automate that decisioning, digitize that decisioning, issue a digital card you know, to your iOS or Android wallet. So if you work through all those nuances like that, like Apple did, really Apple was kind of the catalyst to move to that frictionless credit card application and spending um, process. But that's assuming that that consumer wants a credit card. Yeah, you're right about Apple. I, I've had uh, Apple pay for several years, only recently that I actually get the card. I, it hadn't occurred to me to ask for a card before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, you got a card uh, too. Yeah, sure. Send it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, and and the, the other thing to think through as well is, you know, when you're standing there at, 
Uh, and I, I don't know why we're picking on Jiffy Lube, uh, <laughs> uh, but when you when you're standing there at at you know that retailer and you have that surprise payment, is your first thought, oh, I, I'm going to quickly apply for a credit card so I can have this transaction go through? I don't think any consumer has thought that they they need a payment term that they can do like immediately uh, in order to justify that and or. They use the card that they always use, but then they need to go home and think, okay, now I only have $200 in my checking account. Now what do I do? Right. So then they start going online and looking at personal loans or third-party fintechs or applying for credit cards, or, you know, they, they have all these alternative options out there in the marketplace. And I think it only makes sense for where they bank to, to be the home place that can offer those types of products and services. Do you see yourself having the pole position in terms of offering VNPL to credit unions right now? Uh, I think we're uniquely positioned because of our integration capabilities with financial core systems and mobile banking systems that predominantly serve this market. I think we're doing some really interesting things behind the scenes with companies like Visa, as an example, to build a holistic solution that serves these institutions. And I think our team's background coming from the credit union community allows us to run significantly faster than any other company could um, servicing credit union. So I, I think we have a, a decent head start. And I think the funding that we raised will help us uh, accelerate that growth plan. Uh, last question, a credit union that listens to this and says, hey, I really want this. How long is the waiting list going to be? Depends on their core system. So if, if they're using one of the major core systems, we can likely get them up and running within 90 days. If they're not using one of the major cores and they're interested in being an early adopter on a more unique core solution, then we you know, their, their onboarding time may take longer than 30 days, but we'd, we'd love to talk to them about that opportunity. The CU 2.0 podcast.